We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So we can be. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We services so trent what have you been eating recently so parth hello you're looking well thank you it's nice to be so chipper again after i guess what we can call the batman incident moving forward oh yeah the Uh, batman brings out the best and the worst in us let's just say it showed uh that we truly are unstoppable forces and immovable objects you know yeah. Um, what did I have? I had some chocolate chip cookies that I baked. They're mm, delicious. What, are, what about you? Yeah, no, w- no Wait, need. was it was it from scratch or was it a, a box? Oh, or? It was a box, added some butter and some eggs, so I can give myself some credit, but not too much. Muy delicioso. No, no flour, you know? no sugar. Oh, was that uh, un poco espanol? As Drake Campagna would say. You know? We were just talking about Drake Bell off the air, because I have been binging um, Drake and Josh on my friend from high school's Hulu account. Parth, I think Hulu and Netflix are the only streaming services where I'm on someone's account that isn't your parents. I have... Oh, wait, and Disney Plus. I'm on someone else's. I think, Don't you only have HBO Max? I have your HBO Max. And I'm on your iTunes account. So like well, that's my just lap- mine. My laptop that, is all of your movies. Wow, that's awesome. That That's a lot of movies. But I'm on... Uh, I mean, if anyone's hearing this feels called out, feel free to send me a text. Michael from down the hall, I have his Disney+. Plus. Got Jonathan Dufresne from high school, his Hulu. Um, Nathaniel Johnson got his Netflix. Um, I had your Apple TV for a little. Oh, and your Voodoo. You did, yeah. Well, my um, Voodoo and my iTunes are are like linked. So it's kind of one and the same. But yeah, uh, I guess I can send your parents a a card or something on on Father's Day or something. Yeah, no, I, 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 I if you if if you did the math, I would probably owe them a good amount of cumulative money. Yeah, I mean, all that Sopranos you've been seeing, guys, it's a lot. Yeah. Um. So, Parth, what have you been eating? Uh, it was nice out today. Got up to like seventy-one degrees here in Bridgewater. And so uh, my dad decided to fire up the grill. Whoa. And we, whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 The grill? No, the grill. What do you, what do you put on it? Uh, well, we're a non-beef eating household. So we put uh, chicken, some shrimp, and some veggies. And Sh- sure. Oh, and? It was, and? It was delicious. It was I'm delicious. sure. Sounds like it. And you are you filled to the brim now and ready to podcast? I'm, pu- I'm a filled podcast? little boy. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for some last night in Soho. I, I, like, if somebody were to like take us into like a last night in Soho interview, that'd be amazing. Do you know anybody that could do that? Like past Trenton Parth, like a, a month a month ago, Trenton Parth who did all the work of conducting this interview, and now future Trenton Parth can just casually introduce it. Uh, I guess it's time. Let's cue the intro.
Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. Who do we have on this week? We had Judy Farr. She was a set decorator for Last Night in Soho, among many other movies that we end up talking about. Uh, she has a lot of cool stories, and she ended up telling us that she worked on a certain picture that was not on her IMDb, and you're going to have to listen to the interview and then listen to future Parth and Trent talk about what it was. Wait, we're only going to say that at the end of the episode? Should we give a tease about who it's, I, who's... I think we should. Who it involves? Well, I guess since it's not in, in the entirety of the interview, we can say that off the air... What movie did we reference? We definitely referenced a Stanley Kubrick movie, and then she said something, something, something. By the way, no. Well, we were talking. We were talking about other. Oh m- no, we were talking about that she'd worked on, and like how they'd been crazy. Like she'd worked on some crazy sets, and then wasn't that how it got in? Or no? I kind. I mean, maybe I'm wrong because it was from a month ago, but I almost think it was because we were talking about directors who'd never won Best Director. Oh, you know, you're right, you're right, you're right. And, and I said something, something, Stanley Kubrick doesn't have any Oscars. And then she said, I worked what a crazy, on... What a crazy little dude. And she worked yeah, on... She worked on Eyes Wide Shut. And he, here's the juiciest part. She said that Stanley Kubrick was a very short man. Shorter than the internet would indicate if you looked up how tall he was. Um, but our Instagram will reveal a juicy piece of information that you'll just have to hang on for. Yeah. So um, I guess without further ado, enjoy the episode, right, Trent? Yeah, we've we kind of have like after Scott Pilgrim, we took a little detour with Batman. Now we're back in like an Edgar Wright corner, sort of detour oh, yeah. month long. That was not planned. No, happy accident. Yeah. Actually, but, wait, this was recorded way before a month ago. This was recorded, actually, I think, before our Scott Pilgrim episode was recorded. Time is all relative, Barth. Yeah. Um, you could have told me this interview, I don't know, 15 minutes ago. I would have I would have believed you. I'm just... Yeah. Well, with that being said, I think we should cut into the interview. Yeah, I think we should find Which some solid ground. Recorded at an unknown time in an unknown place with unknown parties. Yeah, we we really have no idea what we're cutting to, so <laughs> we we hope we hope you it, enjoy it. It really could be some horrible noises. It could just be in. It could be industrial sounds for an hour. You know. Wait, Parth. You, you now you're gonna have to edit in some crazy sounds, like right before we start asking Judy Farr very insightful questions. Uh, we'll see. We'll see about that. Uh, but let's just say, YouTube to MP3 converter is a very powerful tool. Part did you know? At least my uh, my chosen YouTube to MP3 converter um, has been removed in the United States, and now I have to I use know. a different. I now have to use a different one. I feel like I it's the, the end of an era. One, the same, I think we were using the same one. And it, the the I've first to, search I, result. Yeah, I've gone on to the second search result, which happens to work just as well. But anyways, uh, whatever you're about to listen to, enjoy. We don't know. (laughs) 
Hello, everybody, and welcome to our interview with Judy Farr. She's the Oscar-nominated set director that's worked on such films as The King's Speech, Rocket Man, The Last Duel, and our film for today, Last Night in Soho. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for asking me. So just to start off, uh, what was your relationship with film at a young age? I absolutely loved watching films when I was a kid. We, we used to have... Um, BBC Two, which on a Saturday and a Sunday at three o'clock, they'd have like a matinee. And um, it would always be those black and white movies with Frank Sinatra or Gene Kelly, or it would be the, uh, you know, a Busby Barkley or something like that. And I used to just go in there, draw the curtains and just sit and watch films, loved them. My favorite, the first film I ever was taken to in a cinema was Mary Poppins, which was amazing. And I think the second one I went to see in the cinema was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. So both of them were my favourite films. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang especially because it was just an amazing film. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was a big movie on when I was a kid as well. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic film. And I got the kids to watch all those sort of films as well when they were little because I thought if they don't see them, they won't understand what made me want to go and be what i am right. so that's, that's like yeah. the main reason to have children is just to show them your foundational films <laughs> yes and Great then just idea. to watch their face um yeah. but um so how did you first get involved in the film industry and like find yourself on set for the first time well i went to art college so i did a degree in theater design because over in the uk they didn't have anywhere to go to do film design so i went to do that finished my degree and started working in the theatre. I got a job at the BBC, which was just amazing because the BBC was just a powerhouse of learning. They broadcast, you know, they were the people that used to train everybody. And um, I was there for a few years, and but I didn't want to stay there. I wanted to do big films. They'd um, just finished filming um, Who Killed Roger Rabbit, Opposite the BBC, it was like um, an old uh, scruffy bit of land in West London and they built one of the big sets out there and um, used to park in the multi-storey car park at the BBC and then I'd go over to the other side of the car park and I'd stand there for ages just watching them going, I'm going to do that one day. I'm going to go and work on a great big film like that. So, um, so yeah, I left the BBC and... Um, went freelance and just hoped that I would get work. So, and I did. So how did you sort of like get your big break into like set decorating? Cause that seems to be kind of like what you do. Yeah. So, so basically there was only one way in with the unions and things. You had to either just go straight in as an assistant set decorator, or you could be a production buyer, which, you know, they're both very closely linked and I thought, well, you know, if I'm if I'm leaving the BBC as a production buyer, I might as well go and try myself as a production buyer in the film industry. So I did get a few jobs, and um, and then I then joined up with a couple of friends of mine who'd been at the BBC, Chris Seegers, who's now a very well known uh, production designer, and Jim Clay, again very well known production designer, and um, and they offered me my first job as a set decorator. So. Um, that was uh, it was with David Putnam down in in Southern Ireland, and it was called War of the Buttons, which was a fabulous film to do because it was just wild, mad children running around and stealing tractors and crashing through things and doing stuff. So it was just it was a great film to start my 
my career off with. And uh, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Can you explain the basic, I guess, distinction between a set, what a, the responsibilities of a set decorator besides decorating the set and like what a set dresser does also? Yeah, so um, we, we, a set decorator is the person who's responsible for the look of the film the person who chooses, you know, if, if someone's writing, you know, they choose the book, the person's writing, they choose the pen, they choose the glasses, they choose the lighting, the wallpaper, furniture, everything. We go and choose those things and we work with the production designer and um, to, to give the character that, you know, whose room we're, we're now designing, to give it the style that it needs for the story. So um, obviously if it's an old man sitting in an old Victorian chair, you don't give him some groovy modern, you know, notebook. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of works its way that you, you understand the character and it is very much character led. Um, Sometimes the, the uh, actors have a little bit to say about stuff, but not very often they're usually fairly um, happy with what's given to them as, as long as you're doing the job properly. I think that's, that's fine. And then a, we call a set dresser is we have, um, it's slightly different in the States as it is to here. Our, a set dresser in the States is what we call a dressing prop man or woman. So they basically load all the props and move them and put them into the places where I ask them to put them. So, And they'll fix the door furniture and they'll fix the window fittings, put the pictures up on the walls and things like that. So so that's really the difference between the two jobs. Um, so how did you get involved with Last Night in Soho? Because that seems like a pretty like coveted job. Uh, I know, because I hadn't worked with Edgar before. But I'd worked with um, Marcus, the production designer, before. We'd done Rocket Man together. That was the first job we'd done together. We've now done five films together, which is amazing. And, uh, well, we got on really well. And he just said, right, we're doing this job. And do you want to come and do it? So, so yeah, I mean, I read the script. And I was slightly confused about it. But I, I you know, went through it again. And then it, it sort of made sense and... Uh, we started designing the sets and looking at the characters and uh, and everything and um, and so that's really how I ended up doing it, which was really nice because all the producers they have all worked together before, the production managers, everybody. So it was quite a sort of knit, close knit team, which was nice to join. So Edgar Wright seems like a very specific director. Uh- and how much direction were you given on how to decorate the sets and like what sort of conversations did you have with the production designer about what you were going for? So, well, Marcus and I, as I say, get on quite well and we've sort of got like a, a thing between us where you just know what's right and what's wrong. And obviously um, Diana Riggs' um, set was the first set that we we built and decorated. You know, we we sit and talk about it. We'd look at the colours, the wallpapers, you know, the the fireplaces, um, whether it, it originally he just wanted um, a wooden floor. And I kept saying, oh, no, let's put some carpet down. She's an old lady. She'd have carpet. No, 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 no. Anyway, eventually we did put carpet down. It just wasn't right. <laughs> but, um, you know, the light fittings, we purchased pretty much everything in that whole set because, um, well, I'm not going to say what happens to the house, but um, 
we can't do uh, certain things to hired props, so um, we had to purchase them. And um, and it was great fun. We spent a lot of time out shopping and spending money, and I think it looked quite good. I think her set was really interesting, sort of mixture of the 1960s and a bit of present day as well. Yeah. We talked with some of the storyboard artists on Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and they said that one of the good things about working with Edgar Wright is that he's really good at, like, showing the work people have put in. And so I kind of wanted to ask you, because there's so many shots that are, like, some are, like, one takes, but there's just so many, like, really cool shots that show off the set and, like, all these little details. And so does that put, like, extra pressure on you? Or is it just like, well, it had to be good anyways. I'm just glad that they're shooting it this way. That's how I always put it. If it, if I haven't done a good job, I, I would think he probably wouldn't take a picture of it. But I'm hoping that it's it's good enough and it and it looks good. So he does want to do a little still life of it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he his his brother actually works as um, a sort of conceptual artist. We interviewed works. him. Oh, did you? He's lovely, yeah. isn't he? He's, He's really lovely. nice. Yeah, he was one. He was one of the three storyboard artists we talked to. Yeah, he's absolutely lovely. He worked actually in our art department, so we all got to know him really well. And um, they are very different, you know. Um, mm. Oscar's far more outgoing, and and um, and Edgar's very definitely um, focused on on what he's doing at that time, and he'll feed that through Marcus, who he's done a lot of films with, and his brother. So. Um, so he was very much totally concentrating on what he was doing and just trusting his heads of department and people to make sure it was right. Yeah. So a few of those specifics within the movie that from a set decorating standpoint, I thought you might have some cool insight to were like all the reoccurring mirrors. And I know like I saw some behind the scenes footage and Obviously, they would have, you know, Thomas and Mackenzie on one side and then Anya Taylor-Joy and then a fake mirror. And that was awesome. If you could just speak on that. It was so confusing. I used to get onto what, you know, if it was the Cafe uh, Royale or whatever, whatever the set was. And then somebody would say, but we're taking that bit out and then we're putting a mirror that does this. But you don't see that. You only see that. And then you go over here and that comes out and it was like, oh, what are we doing now? And luckily, um, as I say, Marcus was totally on what was going on with that. I mean, we obviously provided all those things, but there were times when I honestly, and I know that my team were the same, we used to stand there and go, but what's happening? How is that going to happen? You know, we'd be taking floorboards out or ceilings out or and putting things in and then they'd be shooting this way or that way or another wall would come out and um, and suddenly you'd be shooting a reflection of this, but this is modern day and this is period. So everything had to be exactly the same. It was just, it was quite complicated and, and a bit confusing. It, especially for some of the reverse shots where like the male counterpart would have a real reflection, yeah. you know? I know, I know. And it was, it really, really was... It, they'd spend a lot of time working it all out. It really did take them a lot of time. And it was it was fairly slow when they were doing all those things, especially up in the attic, um, in the bedroom, um, which really, um, 
I mean, that changed, you know, every day we'd have some, we'd take a bathroom away and then suddenly there'd be a new bathroom in or we'd, we'd move. So the kit, so the bedroom would be sixties and the kitchen would be modern day or, you know, through that door it would be. So we really were kept on our toes. I lost one of my prop makers, Tom, who, um, who actually just ended up on set because every time they needed something, he was just pulling something apart, remaking it, putting it all back together. So he ended up as as sort of Marcus's sort of right-hand man towards the end of the film when we were pulling the things apart and putting all these mirrors and different things in. So, yeah, very, very complicated. Yeah, I mean, you kind of talked about it a little bit, but, like, I wanted to ask you about, like, the period aspect of it. Like, yeah. from a set decorator point of view if you're in charge of putting all that stuff together, like how much of that is like you taking things and trying to make them look like they're period accurate. And like how much of that was like finding actual things from like 1960s. I think pretty much most of it was 1960s stuff. Um, Obviously some of the fabrics weren't, but, um, but it was, it, it, because of the reflections of everything. So you had one type of curtain or you had one type of wallpaper or one type, you know, we didn't want to make them really different, but we didn't want to make them close, so close to each other. You didn't notice that they'd changed. So again, we painted and wallpapered a few times before we got those things right. But um, yeah, I, there's an amazing company in the UK that, and I know there's one in the States, I've used them before, that has genuinely old wallpaper. So you could just go and buy these rolls of wallpaper that are practically falling apart. And the painters hate it. Anyone on set who gets told to put it up, they're all just like, oh, no, oh, don't give me that stuff because you have to cut the edges where they had their little selvages and they hate it. But it always looks really good because it has a, a definite style and a, a sort of matte finish and, a, a you know, very deep, good colours to it. So, so um so yeah, most of it was 1960s stuff. Uh, another feature uh, we were curious about was like all the hands through the walls and like hands through the bed, and also like the ghost men, like yes. and their weird like 3D effect. Yeah. If if you had have any insight on how any of that was done, just because there's so much practical effects in this movie, and they're all so impressive. And they were practical effects. Everything. That's what I said when Thomas got pinch to go onto set he would be taking the the um the mattress apart and the hands would be coming through the mattress suddenly we'd be told we need some more mattresses because this mattress thomas has just cut 25 holes in it and you know and that that next thing is the carpet's been ripped up he's put holes through the carpets as well and um i didn't have a lot to do with it um basically because we would have been getting ready a lot of other sets so we left them with the, their special effects department and with Marcus and with Edgar and um and also Oscar because he he really worked out how all those um shadow men were going to work within that um uh within those scenes but they are really scary as well aren't they I mean I was like when I watched it I was really surprised that uh it was so scary. That is something that we've learned from talking through to pr- several production designers at this point, though, is we'll be like, tell us about like this awesome scene in this like awesome place that you decorated. And they're like, I can only really speak on the decorations because when they were shooting it, I was decorating the next place. Yeah. yeah. And that you're always one step ahead of the production. Yeah, we are normally one step ahead. Hopefully we are. We're not doing that still while they're trying to shoot it. 
sometimes that does happen because they change their minds. But um, but you try to keep at least one set ahead of them so that we're we've got a bit of time to change things and move stuff around and and make sure it's right. <laughs> so like towards the end of the film, there's like a huge fire that happens. Oh, and you've just said it. I didn't say it earlier. <laughs> no, uh, this this thing's going to be coming out in like April. Yeah. So oh, I feel like right. it's fair People game. People have no excuse. Okay, yeah. no excuse. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, the big like, fire. I have... I just wanted to know, like, from a set decorating point of view, I, I doubt that you were there when that was I, happening. Do you know what? Or... I actually was at wow. the studio oh. when they did start that fire. And Steve, who's the special effects designer, who's a lovely chap, who, again, has worked with Marcus a lot and worked with Edgar before, um, uh, obviously had lots of fire uh, bars where they put in so it looks like everything's on fire. But then Marcus just got carried away and said, it's not enough, it's not enough. And he was like throwing gel onto the set because everything had been purchased. We knew we could burn it. And um, we filmed it at a really old studio in London at Ealing Studios, which is, which I think was probably one of the, is one of the oldest studios in London. It was sort of set up in the 1915, something like that, 1920. So they used to make silent films there. And everything is wood. Wooden floors, wooden walls, wooden everything, wooden gantries at the top, um, wooden fire door, everything is wood. And we were were watching Marcus and it was like, you're mad, you're like a pyromaniac. And everything was being burnt. He was throwing the fire gel on everything. Even Steve sort of stood back and went, whoa, Marcus, you're really going to make a mess here. (laughs) It was, it was really big flames and big fire. But obviously the fireman was standing around to make sure that... um, Nobody got hurt and the studio didn't get burnt down. I guess, how long was the shoot, all in all? Do you know, I can't remember. I think it was probably about, it's normally, I normally start a job and and most films, are for me, with my prep, are about five to six months. Um, so you get mm, 10 to 12 weeks prep depending on how big the film is. I mean, obviously some of the huge films, they they take people on for, you know, months before they start filming. But um, I don't like doing those sort of films because they're just like, they're just too big. And then you don't get involved in actually making the film because you're just another person in the whole um, sort of process. So, um, yeah, it's normally about five to six months of work. So... I I would say probably we're maybe, I don't know, maybe three months of filming. So so is your pre-production like buying materials or like doing like a lookbook or just everything. like everything? everything? Yeah. So, I mean, I literally started this job on Monday. I'm reading a script, but I'd read it before, but now they've just shortened it and done some other things. I'm doing lists for our prop makers. I'm doing lists for our buyers. I'm... Um, I'm, I've pulled out loads of books earlier to as reference for people to see how I think it should look. I spent, um, I've spent a couple of days with the designer now, so um, we're, we, I, I pretty know what I'm doing. Um, ringing people about cars and talking to the boat people because obviously it's a big boat thing. Um, so yeah, it's it's everything. It's it's getting it's looking at the schedule. 
It's um, spending that time making sure you're doing everything in a chronological order. Otherwise, you just get in a mess. So uh, once you've got your schedule, you'll work on the sets that are coming up first, leaving the end bit to the end. Um, You know, just uh, as you say, purchasing, uh, lookbooks, all of those things so that everybody knows what we're doing. So like when you get attached to a job, do you personally like seek out uh projects that you find will be interesting or is it that you kind of have like a working relationship with production designers and then they like what would happen what happened with last night in soho i guess yeah um it just depends i mean i'm working with um with a lady who i'd never met before um she's come over here she did uh, maid of honor and um she so she'd worked over here before and she um wanted somebody to come and do this job and it's very busy over in the UK at the moment um and uh the person she took on as her supervising art director rang me knew I was finishing a job and um so that's how I got that job and and mostly it is word of mouth I think as you get older and as you can see I am very old um (laughs) I I think you just do get to know so many people producers production managers the art directors the and if it is somebody coming from abroad then whoever's been picked up as their supervising art director it's pretty likely i would know them so um so that's yeah normally how i get work i don't have an agent um so yeah that's how it happens so like trent do you have any other last night in soho questions no close out close out last night in soho so I, I wanted to ask you about another movie that you worked on that yeah. came out in 2021 that I recently watched like a few days ago that I loved, and it was The Last Duel. Um, oh, yes. yeah. And I wanted to ask, what was that like? What's Ridley Scott like? Um, that was one of those films that um, you start and you think, well, it's obviously going to be absolutely brilliantly organized and marvelous, and then you start and it, and then nothing happens and then you do a budget and then nothing happens and then you do a budget and and then suddenly everything goes ridley turns up and it's all um all all guns blazing um we we started the film in in dublin and we had a an irish crew out there who were preparing for the second part of the film, which is all the duel and all the um, the fighting and uh, and all the big battles and things, and we started off going to France. So the the Irish um, crew got you know like six months prep on the job. I got three months prep to go and to get uh, France done, but I also in that three months had to get Dublin done. So as you can imagine, it was. It was madness. madness. And you know what? Three months we had um we had our Christmas break and uh the day before we were going back to Dublin I tripped and fell on my leg and broke my leg. Oh no. So I ended up in a wheelchair in France, um being pushed up um cobbled hills to castles and down, you know, really steep hills down into boggy, muddy oh it was it was awful. It was awful. And it was January and February and March. It was rainy. It was cold. Um, you know, it was all the things that you could possibly uh, think of the worst things with a broken leg. But um, but so by the time I got back to Dublin, I was fine. And then we had 
COVID. So we all got sent home literally three days before we were about to start shooting. So um, which gave us then five months off. We didn't start again until the July and um, and then sort of had to try and remember what we've been doing because, you know, that time off was a bit mad. It was um, it was like we'd all gone into sort of like, oh, this is quite nice being at home and doing the gardening and not going out and just sitting in the garden and and um, and then to try and get your head back into what you were doing five months previous to that that was all at like high speed and what I was worried about was because we dressed all these sets over in in um the studios in Dublin and we'd left them and I was saying what you know they've got holes in the studio walls it's all quite old and um, I was saying you know we're going to have animals in there eating all the fabrics and we'll have pigeons in there you know making a mess over everything anyway we got back and it was actually it was just dusty but it was like opening the doors. It was like open the doors and walk in and go. Oh, that's what we were up to. So, yeah, it was it was a it was a hard job that job. It was hard work, but it was a it was a good film. I I think its subject matter was fantastic, and Jodie Comer was fantastic, and um, I. It was a I, I I enjoyed it. I think not enjoy it because it's not. I enjoyed the look of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's yeah. like a beautiful looking film. Mm, thank you. Um, so another movie you worked on um, is American Sniper by Clint Eastwood. Yes. And it says that uh, you were specifically in Morocco. Yeah, we did the whole thing in Morocco. Well, some of it, they did a bit in the States. Um, we, I was out doing all the, all the sort of terrorists and the fight, fighting and all the, all the rubble and the broken down streets and all the terrorist sort of hideouts and things, um, which was amazing. It was the second time I'd worked with Clint actually. And, um, and I, and I, just before we finished, I did mention to him, I had worked for him and it was like 30 years previously. So it was just like, you know, I did that job with you and now I'm doing that. one. (laughs) No, it was great. It was a really good, good job to do i enjoyed that very much because it it, again character led you know and but doing it within a a sort of arabic style which was really interesting he very famously only does like one or two takes right oh totally he gets everything is set up by one of his co-producers it's amazing it's all set up everything's done the, the cameramen know what they're doing and um, the DOP does his lighting and they do all the rehearsals and then he comes in and he'll just do, yeah. So, so do you like that? Because like it keeps you moving and keeps you going it to the keeps next set? Moving. It's so quick. It's brilliant because then nobody get no, you know, you can't get bored because you're on, not on take 25 of somebody picking up a book and going, yeah. doing that. Yeah which really is if you are stuck on the set and that happens it's um it is it's tiring but then David Fincher um, syndrome yeah but then really Scott's like that you know he has he has four or five cameras on set every day um and which is a nightmare because if you've got five people in a camera team and you've got five cameras you've got you've got 20 more people in a set than you're normally used to mm. or if you may have two cameras but um and he has them all shooting at the same time he sets it all up everybody's doing what they're supposed to do and then 
finished, you know, two or two, two takes, two or three takes. It makes it, it makes a big difference to everybody's um, threshold of how they're working and how they, the speed of everything going, which is great. We have talked to like a few people that have worked with Clint Eastwood and they've all been like, you show up for work and then you're done in like eight hours and it's like one of the lo- the most lovely experience you'll ever have Perfect working on a film experience. set. But I have heard that um, George Clooney is like that as well. So we'll mm-hmm. wait and see. A home for dinner director? Absolutely. My daughter yeah. did um, Monuments Men with him. She's She works in the art department occasionally and, and does whatever she wants to do. And uh, she said he was wonderful. He used to just turn up, hello to everybody, really friendly, get down, do it, and then home. Yeah. yeah, which is makes a big difference because, you know, sometimes the hours that um, people are put into, you know, working in film industry is is stupid. It's mad. Yeah. So this is so like, I think like the last other movie TV show that we would want to talk about uh, happened a while back. But you it says on your IMDb that you worked on Blackadder and Mr. Bean. Oh, and yes, my dad loves Blackadder, yeah. and as a child, I was a big Mr. Bean fan. Oh, they were both brilliant. And Blackadder, oh, I'll never forget doing that. And we, we just had we had the best actors. We had the best um, – everybody who did it was just amazing, talented, really fantastic people. I mean, you know, they were all out of college like I was. I just literally started at the BBC, and, and, um, and to do something like that was just – I was so lucky – Ben Elton used to do the warm-up for the audiences, you know, so we had fantastic people working with us, and um, that was great. And then Mr. Bean, again, mad. Did, did you did you ever get to, like, talk with Rowan Atkinson at any yeah. point? Yeah, 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 we used to, and, and Rowan was obviously in... Um, in Blackadder as well. Yeah. So, you know, with from Mr. Bean to Blackadder. And then I remember going to the sales one January and I was uh, outside a big department store in London and he was there waiting to get in. He was like first in the queue to get in. And I just looked at him and laughed, but I don't know if he recognised me or not, but it was quite funny the fact that um, we'd just done that and there he was in the queue to get into the sales. But, um, oh, they were just, they were so lovely, all of them. And we worked with so many good people on those those shows because I think I think it was very obvious that they were all going to become really amazing actors, writers, composers, whoever they, whatever they were going to be. It was very obvious that they were definitely going places. John Lloyd, who produced the, the show, was... Um, shows where he was amazing he um you know it was just i think i was really lucky to have have had that chance to do those things Uh, so uh what are you working on now that you are at liberty to tell us about liberty to tell you because i started this week it's um a film called boys in the boat and um george clooney's going to be directing it and um, it's about the 1936 Olympic Games, which were set in Germany with um, with Hitler and the Nazis put on the big show and and uh, the American rowing team from Seattle, um, from Washington University, uh, beat the Germans that unexpectedly. They, they came from nowhere and, and won the gold medal. So it's a really good feel-good film. It's... Um, it's got a great story and a and a and a very happy ending 
that's exciting. Do you yeah, do you know when you start work like physically start working on it? Yeah, we're going to start. I've I've started just this week, but we start filming in um, the beginning of April. So um, it'll be April, May, June, finish in July sometime. And where's it? Where's it shooting? Well, it's all in the UK actually. So we've got to make uh, the UK look like Washington and um, and Germany and, and yeah, Berlin, Washington, New York. Um, yeah, really easy. Yeah. <laughs> Famous UK locations. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it won't look English. <laughs> I don't know if you're ready for this, but this is the big kahuna final question. Uh, <laughs> um, Parth, you want to pop the question? Sure. Uh, so the big kahuna final question, uh, don't, be too, don't be too scared, um, is just, what's the last great film you watched? I'm not good, great. Oh my god, last great film. Yeah, we've, we, we have pretty much every guest we ever have on. Stumped. They all get like absolutely terrified they're like i'm too busy working on films i can't watch i shout to my husband and ask him he might remember (laughs) um what i've said that i thought was amazing and i'd watch it again the last great film oh my goodness we could bend the rules and allow like a tv show also if you've seen any of that recently Or, or it could be like on Deal or No Deal where you have like the help thing and you could call and call your husband i can call my husband can you remember the best film we've watched recently? Hey. Can't hear me. He's deaf. <laughs> I, I think I hear him like clicking on a microwave unless yeah, I'm crazy. Yes, thought. He's getting something out the fridge. Hillary, can, I'm doing an interview at the moment and I've been asked... What's the best film we've recently watched? The be- great film, not just a good film. Great. Great film. Not just a good film, a great film. What, you, what, you mean historically? No, recently. What have we watched that we thought oh, was... Oh, that, that, one, that one with the um, where they sit around the table. Oh, yes, that was, that was fantastic, world. wasn't it? Yeah, what was I? I literally just we watched it just a couple of weeks ago. It was um, it's about the four people who sit down in a in a church hall and start talking about something, and no, you don't know at the beginning what was it called. Is it Mass? Yes. Yeah. Nice Parth. Nice. Oh, those those actors were amazing. Love Jason Isaacs. That was proper. You're not supposed to be in it. Go away. I'm just giving you a freaking <laughs> cup of tea. No, he's a celebrity guest. He, no, this yeah, is great. Yeah, now he's. Oh, he has. He's brought me a cup of tea. You thought it was the microwave. It was actually a <sighs> cup of tea. Craft services so, on craft services. Thank you. <laughs> oh yeah, that was amazing. That was really a very very clever, and those actors and the writing. And just even that, like the way they put the chairs out in that village hall, you know, and everything that was just, and the glasses that were moved and everything that was, it was just very, very clever. It's got to be nice being a set decorator and then watching a movie and being like, wow, they decorated the shit out of the set. Yeah. Although I did, I tell you what I did watch the other day and I thought just looked beautiful was um, uh, Nightmare Alley. I thought Mm. it looked beautiful. Mm. Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. It did look beautiful. It um, it was just that canvas and the colours of those um, of you know the whole place and the costumes, the hair and ev- the whole thing just did look beautiful. But then again, the original black and white film of that was amazing. And then you just go, 
Hmm, why have they made that again? So. <laughs> oh, did he just say West Side he just Story? Said, he just said West Side. He liked West Side Trent Story. Trent loves West Side Story. Yeah, West Side Story like, was he, so good. Yeah, but then what about the first one? The first one, it was just, it's like, why do it again? When but you does it have it? the Spielberg-Kaminsky touch? No, it didn't. It didn't. But then again, but then again, did it need to? No, 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 you're right. It's an unenviable task to remake, like, one of the most perfect movies perfect of all time. Perfect films. It is, isn't but, it? But, 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 there's a big but here. And the big but is Uncle Steven Spielberg. And, like, he knows what he is doing. So just let yeah. him do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and it was beautiful. It did look amazing. Adam Stockhausen did a fabulous job on it. But the funny thing is, I looked at how much that had cost, and it cost the same amount as the last jewel. Wow. Yeah, it was. It was a hundred million dollars. Yeah. Same, right? same budget. They yet they, they had huge sets. That they filmed some of it in Newark, New Jersey, which is oh, did they really? Yeah, yeah, that's true, and and a lot in like the five boroughs of new york also. yes yeah but yeah. newark was probably like the cheapest place where they could you know <laughs> they could do anything they want <laughs> they, they could really crumble some buildings yeah <laughs> trent and i are both from new jersey and we can attest we're allowed to, to poke fun the other 49 states don't talk about us <laughs> yeah. um but parth do you think that's it yeah i think we've covered everything we wanted to cover uh thank Fantastic. you so much to judy farr our guest she's worked on a lot of cool stuff and you should check it out you should rent last night in soho uh it's not in theaters anymore probably by the time that this interview's coming out but you should rent it for like four or five dollars because it's totally worth your time and money yeah yeah i think so good um, and check out her other work too you know, like you know last duel rocket man king's speech need i say more she's worked on some good movies yeah uh all right thank you so much Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. So, Parth, pretty cool interview. Right? Yeah, it, it turned out to be an actual interview and not just random assortment of noises, right? You, you're going to edit in some noises, right? I don't kiss and tell. Parth, you've never kissed another living, breathing person, is that right? They never let me near. Yeah. So you've only kissed dead people? I thought this interview was great. Uh, I thought Judy Farr gave a bunch of insightful little stories. No? Mm-hmm. And uh, Trent, should we talk about what she said off the air about Stanley Kubrick? She said that Stanley Kubrick made her sandwiches or toast. He 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 made her toast marmalade on toast. Yeah, and that's what she remembered most. She said that he was crazy, and she tried to describe it to us. And yeah, he sounded like a pretty complicated guy. But then, so she 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 says that she works with Stanley. She'd worked with Stanley Kubrick on Eyes Wide Shut, and I'm like, dog. I'm a Tom Cruise fan. I would have asked you. It wasn't on our IMDb page. And then she goes, oh, yeah, and I have a signed script by him. And we go, can we see it? And she pulls it out, and we'll have that up on the Instagram. And then she goes, oh, yeah, and I have a personal note that Stanley Kubrick wrote to me that I also have. And it was framed on her wall, and his handwriting was very sloppy and and unique. And she couldn't figure out what it said, 
despite it being framed on her wall for many years, and then she showed it to us, and we couldn't figure it out. Um, so what the note says from Stanley Kubrick, now deceased, we do not know, and frankly, we may never know. But we'll put it up on the Instagram, and hopefully one of you guys can figure it out. But I feel like if they started bringing people back from the dead, he should be high on the list. Yeah. Well, Trent, we're tired, right? We, we gotta end this episode. Short term and long term, I'd say that we are tired. But we are slowly approaching 100 episodes, and then we are. and then it'll all be worthwhile. Yeah. All of our hard work, the long nights of podcasting. So, next week, you can join us for a discussion of Last Night in Soho, and do you make think sure it'll to follow just be us. The, do you think it'll just be the boys? I think it'll just be the two of us. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, follow us on all of our social media. We have Instagram and Twitter. Those are the two we have. And uh, give us a good review and rating on, on Apple Spotify, Podcasts yeah. and Spotify. Do it. Uh, Trent, anything else we got to do? No. Parth, you want to plug your other podcast called Pot- Potting with Parth? Oh, yeah. No. The, my new podcast, Potting with Parth. Um, it's, 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 an, it's an interesting podcast, actually. Um, I've been able to get the contact information of people that have worked behind the scenes on films and, uh, Part, they've been kind enough to interview similar. me. <laughs> They're interviewing you. Wait, no, no, no. I'm interviewing them. Uh, well, okay. Wait, wait. Um, it's complicated. It, it, it alternates. Is this just like the B sides of our podcast and you've edited out my audio track? Potting with Parth. It's everywhere you can listen to podcasts. Oh, on you know? what day? On what day is, there, is it released? What uh, Sunday. <laughs> really? Yeah. Don't you feel like you're stepping on someone's toes there? The Lord. You know, you know, like I think. I think. I think Jesus anything? is okay with this. Okay. You don't think you're on any sacred ground right now? I, I, Trent, like you can say that as many times as you want. I'm not going to know what you're talking about. Um. I think there's already a well-established podcast that famously releases, um, I guess, at some point on Sundays. I have the duck? No, Trent, that's that, that's Mondays. Yeah. Um, well, this has gone on far too long. <laughs> <laughs> I say we, we go our separate ways now. We, we've been recording for like 20 minutes, and I'm pretty sure we only have like 10 minutes of like... Stuff where we're actually talking about what we need to. Good. Yeah. All right. See you guys. See you next week. Bye. I love you. Goodbye.